Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. I'm really glad to be with all of y'all today, and I appreciate the elders asking me to come out here and speak to y'all, and I love getting to come to new places and, and seeing different people. And speaking about love, that's what we're going to be talking about today, is love. I'm going to be saying that word a lot, so I hope you like that word. So as Christians, love is a crucial part of our lives. And if we are going to live the Christian life, we must truly love God. And to me, that seems like a given. You know, we think about it. We're like, of course we got to love God. We are Christians. We're, we're founded on love. You know, Christ and God is love, and we're Christ's people, so we're going to be love. We've got to follow after Christ. That, that's just a common. But a lot of times we just do it wrong, and we don't do it correctly. So if we are Christ's people, and we're going to be loving, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So... If you have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's where we're going to start off. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is known by many as the love chapter. That's where we're going to start off this morning. We'll start reading in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. I want to take a short brief moment right here to to talk about this word love. Now, the Bible was not written in English. It was The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek. So we've had a lot of translations since then. And so when we say love here in 1 Corinthians 13, it's the word agape. And that's a term referring to love. It's the highest form of love, charity. It's the love of God for man and man for God. You see, in the English definition, the word love can be used to describe a lot of things. I can use the same word love describe my family as much as I love Taco Tuesday. But see, in the Greek wording, it's different. This type of love we're reading about in 1 Corinthians 13 is the love we should be striving to have between our God and us. So let's pick back up reading in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So we should be striving to have this kind of relationship with our God. Because God loves us like this. His love is perfect. 
We, on the other hand, are not perfect, and we should be striving for this. This is a, a topic today that I struggle with every single day of my life. Because this is a hard list. I look at it, I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I can keep up with all of this. You know, I have I fall short in a lot of these areas. It is a hard list, but I have this saying that anything worth doing is worth doing right. So no matter what it is, it's going to take some hard work, but it's worth doing right. And that's the case it is in here. This love for God is worth doing right. So it's going to take some hard work and determination. You're going to fall down sometimes, but you've got to keep getting back up and going. So, a lot of times we fall short in this, and it might look like this. There's a story of a man who goes to his favorite burger joint every single day after work for his lunch break. So he goes in, and one day... Another, a stranger walks in and sits with them, and they have a conversation. And then at the end of the meal, the stranger offers to buy the man his burger. And the man goes, well, okay, I'll let you buy my burger today. I mean, that's mighty nice of you, and I appreciate it. So then the next day, he goes back like he does every single day. And all of a sudden, the stranger walks back in, sits down, has a conversation, and buys this meal again. He's getting excited. He's like, man, this guy's really nice. Well, the third day, he comes back in. Sure enough, here comes a stranger right back in, has a conversation with them. Now they're starting to build a friendship, a relationship. This goes on for the fourth day, and a fifth day, and a sixth day, for a whole week, and then two weeks. It happens over and over again. Every day, this man goes in for his burger. A stranger comes in, who is now his friend, and buys his burger for him. Until this one day. This one day... You know, the guy was having a bad day at work. You know, things weren't going his way. Things were just messing up. Everything was going off. He was just having a bad day. So he was looking forward to this burger he was going to have with his friend at that restaurant. So he walks in and he goes, man, today, today I'm needing this. So he gets the biggest burger he can find. And then, sure enough, his friend walks in. And then it comes time for the ticket. And he gets the bill and he hands it to his friend. And his friend goes, oh, I, I can't cover that today. I, I'm really sorry. I, I can only pay for mine. And that, the guy gets really angry. and says, are you, are you kidding me? After all these days, now you're going to quit doing that? Now, was this man ever obligated to pay for this, mil, this guy's meal in the first place? No. But that's what their friendship was based upon, was this guy buying his meal. Once he didn't have that, the relationship was gone. Are we like this with our Heavenly Father? That when we don't get things our way, we, we separate ourselves from Him? Do we treat God like that friend that's just buying the burger for us? Do we treat Him like this avenue of getting something? We make this mistake a lot. The problem is that people will no longer love God and instead go to Him for our needs instead. You know, we see this common mistakes in our prayer life. We petition instead of praise. Do we ever tell God how amazing He is? You know, do we ever just stop in, in our prayer life and tell Him, God, You are so amazing. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I'm so happy that You're my God. You are the sovereign God. Do we ever just stop and praise God? Or is it just petition after petition after petition? What if husbands did that with their wives? What if every day they just walked in and was like, So, honey, how's supper cooking? Or, hey, uh, the TV's messed up. Can you come do this? I don't think that's a very strong relationship. I don't think that, la- that would last long. So why do we think we can do this with our Heavenly Father when we just 
petition him for our needs. What do our prayers look like? Do they look like, God, I need you today. Uh, I need some I need some money for my new job. I need some this. I need this. I need a long life, to, a long happy life. I need you to bless me in this way and this way. Or do we praise him? I think back to when Jesus institute, or he's teaching how to pray. When he teaches the model prayer, he starts off with praise. He doesn't just go straight into petition. He says, our heavenly father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. He's praising his heavenly father. So if Jesus Christ is instituting prayer, and he starts off with praise, who do we think we are to change that order? You know, I had this problem for the longest. All I would do is just petition. Another thing that we don't even do is, one time I've realized that I tell my parents I love them, I tell my sister I love them, but do I ever tell God I love him, my heavenly father? Do I ever tell him that I love him? And I realized I wasn't doing that in my walk with Christ. I was never telling him just in my prayers that I loved him. And so I decided to make that change. And I won't lie, the first time I did it, I felt uncomfortable. And that shouldn't be. But ever since then, when I do it now, it's more meaningful. I get more comfortable with it and I mean it more. We see this problem also in our service. And we'll elaborate on this later on in the lesson. But we do it out of fear and not love. Good? And we see this in our Christianity. You know, a lot of times we got to ask ourselves, is our Christianity genuine? Are we going to church and abstaining from evil? Is that what our Christianity is? Is our Christianity about a building when we come in here? What is our Christianity about? So, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to turn to Mark chapter 12. And we're going to be picking up in verse 30. Mark 12, verse 30. We're actually going to start in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is our first and foremost command. It is our greatest command. Now, why is it our greatest command? Because if we do this full-heartedly, everything else is going to fall in line. It's kind of like this is the, the setting up the dominoes. And once you have the dominoes set up, all you have to do is push it over, and they're going to keep falling and falling. It's going to go in a line. If we truly love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, then we're going to be waking up every day trying to figure out how to serve God, how to be a better Christian. We're going to seek and serve Him every single day. And if we truly love our neighbor, we're not going to wake up thinking, you know, how can I ruin someone's day today? Or how can I just ignore everybody? No, if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to be seeking out how to serve them. See, this is a very selfless love. That you're going to be serving God and others before yourself. It's very selfless. Now, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Revelation chapter 2. 
This is known as the loveless church. Revelations, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? The words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. You see, they were doing a lot of good things before the wrong motives. It wasn't out of love. It wasn't for love of God. You know, we can be doing... All these great things that we read in in 1 Corinthians 13. But if it's not out of love, it's meaningless. It's wrong. It doesn't matter. I like to think of the one talent man we see in Matthew 25. I like to encourage you to turn there. We're going to look at the one talent man because there's a lot of similarities between the loveless church in in Revelation 2 and also uh, the one talent man in Matthew 25. And I want to look at those similarities that are between those two. We're going to start in verse 14 of Matthew 25. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once, traded with them, and made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. Now skip down to verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to invest my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So we see this one talent man, and a lot of times we look at him like he is just the worst person in the world. Like he is the biggest sinner. But I want to reevaluate what actually happened in this story. So when we look at the one talent man, we got to look at what he actually did. Now did he lose his master's money? His master gave him some money and he trusted with it. Did he lose it? No, he knew where it was. He put it in the ground for safekeeping. He knew, okay, I have have the master's money hidden, so no one's going to steal it. Now, did he go spend it on evil things? Did he go buy drugs and alcohol to have a party with? Or did he go spend it on any kind of immoral or evil thing? No. He kept it safe and sound in the ground. 
So he didn't sin with the money of like going to buy anything wrong. But did he love his master in order to try and please him? No. You see in the story that he knows his master. He knows how he is like. He knows what he wants done with the money. But instead, he decides to not do it. Now, did he fear his master and decide to do nothing? Yes. A lot of times we see people doing service out of fear. They fear hell and they fear persecution. But they don't love God enough to take that step. They're doing it out of fear and not love for God. And that's what the same thing of the loveless church. They were doing all these things, but it wasn't for love. Just like this one talent man. He he stayed away from the sin, but he didn't do anything because he didn't love. Is our Christianity like this? Are we just going to worship and not doing evil? Is that is that all our Christianity is? You know, we say, well, I'm a Christian, so I don't do this. I don't, I don't go out and curse every day of the week. I don't go out and party. I'm a Christian, so I don't partake of these evil things. Is that what we, is that what we're about? Is it, is it like holding us back from doing it? Or is it, I love God, so I won't disobey Him. I love Him and I don't want to hurt Him, so I'm not going to partake in these evil things. Now, one thing that reminds me of this is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. We're going to camp out here for a while. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. The text states, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So, keeping in mind that the Bible wasn't written in English, let's go back into their shoes. Let's read it how a Hebrew would. You know, I'm no Hebrew scholar, but I do know that the word heart here is not our heart. It's the word lebab, which, again, I don't speak Hebrew, so I could be butchering that. But we have to understand that the Hebrew writers understand the heart differently. Their definition is a noun, meaning the heart, the mind, the inner person. And the primary usage of the word describes the entire disposition of the inner person. It is also used to describe the place where rational thinking occurs, which allows a person to know God's blessing, to plan for the future, to communicate, and to understand God's message. And it also refers to the human emotions. So in short, to wrap it all up, to love God with all of your heart is to love Him with your thoughts your emotions, your physical life, and your choices. This is a lot different than you know what we have. Because when I say the word heart, love God with all your heart, I'm thinking, okay, this is this is really strong feeling, you know. I love God with all of my heart. But when you look at how they actually intended it, it's to love God with your your heart, your thoughts, your emotions, your physical life, and your choices. And now to love God with all of your soul. What is what does that actually mean? When we look at the Hebrew word for soul, it's the word nephesh. And this occurs over 700 times in the Old Testament. So, of course, it's going to have this very broad meaning to it. So, our definition of the word soul is the spiritual or immaterial part of a human being or animal regarded as immortal. That is our definition. But the Hebrew definition is the soul, the self, the life, the creature, the person... The appetite, mind, living being, desire, emotion, passion, 
that which breathes, the inner person of a man, the living being, the man himself, the activity of the mind, the activity of the will, and the activity of the character. Now, that's a pretty big list. But in short, to wrap that all up, to love God with all of your nephish or soul is to develop your whole physical existence to your creator. The one who gave you your body in the first place. It's about offering its entire being with all of its capabilities and limitations in order to love God. Whatever you can do, you do it for God. Whatever your body can do, whatever things you have, you serve God and you love God with it. And now to love God with all of your strength. Now this one I think is kind of funny because the Hebrew word maod doesn't actually mean strength, which is koak. However, the word means very or much. So for example, in creation, the Bible describes that God made... Well, everything that God made in creation was mayod good or very good. Or Genesis 1.31, it says, The water in the flood became mayod powerful. So to love God with all of your mayod means to love God with all of your muchness. Which sounds very strange, but you kind of get it. You know, it means devoting every opportunity, capacity, and possibility that you have into honoring God and loving your neighbor as yourself. So loving God is no easy task, and it requires a lot of work, but it is necessary for our lives if we're going to be genuine Christians. You know, at college, we have this thing called warm fuzzies, and this is how we show love to each other. It's just a little piece of construction paper or, or any kind of paper that you write a, a little warm fuzzy to, and the purpose of this is to make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. So, for example, a warm fuzzy might say something like, Hey, Noah, I love to be around you. You're really enjoyable. You're such a nice guy. And I hope that, you know, we can become better friends in the future. Something like that. And so, it is an example of how we love each other. And that's what I want to talk about now, is loving each other. So we've got this whole idea of loving God. Now, how do we do the second part in loving each other? So why do we love in the first place? Is it because we have to, or, or why, why do we love? If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Just a little context here. So the beginning of John 13, this is when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. You know, he goes up to Peter and starts washing his feet, and then he goes around to the other disciples, and he's washing their feet. And they don't understand what's going on. They're like, what is happening right now? Why is Jesus washing my feet? And he's like, what I'm doing right now, you're not going to understand, but, but you will understand. And then he goes on later and he says, I did this because, you know, I'm your teacher, I'm your master. I served you and you are my students. So if your teacher does this, what should you do? You should also do this. So we should follow our teacher. If Jesus served others, then we are to serve others. He set the example, we are to follow it. He taught us, we are to learn from it and, and follow in that. But I want to focus on verses 31 through 35. And this is when he talks about the new commandment. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him... God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, 
Yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I had said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now pay attention to verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So did Jesus do this because he had to? Did he have to wash the disciples' feet? No, but he did because he loved them, and he wanted to. So why do we love? Is because we have to? No, because we get to. We have the opportunity to love like Jesus loved. We are to love others like he did. We are to love like Jesus. So what does that mean if we're going to love like Jesus? You know, we'll look back at how Jesus did love. He loved us enough that he died for us. Today's world, it's constant. You see it on the news. You see it everywhere you go. There's a lot of hatred out there in the world. For an act of hate, people will hate on that one person who caused the act of hate. There's just so much hate in the world. But as Christians, we are to love each other. You know, a lot of times we hear the saying, hate the sin but not the sinner. But how often are we doing that? We have to realize what the sinner actually is. And that's another person in need of Jesus Christ. That's another sinner enslaved to sin. We were all once there. We were all enslaved to sin. But through Jesus, we have been made free. Jesus loved us so he could set us free. And we are to do the same. We are to put ourselves underneath that person so we can push them higher to God and higher to Jesus. Jesus died for us so that we could be saved. So if it comes down to it, we should die for the people so they could be saved. You know, the more we strive to be like Christ, the more our lives will reflect his. And we see that with Paul. We see a lot of similarities between Paul and Jesus' life. The more we strive to be like Christ, the more our lives will reflect his. And we should love like Jesus. We should love like Christ. So today, you know, we discussed a lot of things. We discussed on certain problems that we see in our our Christian life. And we, we talked about how to fix them and what it means to truly love God and to truly love Christ and truly love each other. So we discussed on all of those topics. But now I want to open up and just talk about what if you haven't had the avenue of love? What if you haven't been able to be baptized into Christ? What if you're still that sinner that's enslaved to sin? How do you get free from that? Well, we have this, this opportunity here in a second, in the invitation, to become baptized into Christ, to be a new creation, to be a citizen of heaven. So if you haven't been baptized and you haven't had that the avenue of the blood of Christ, we encourage you to do that today. Or maybe you are a Christian, but you've slipped up in your life and, and you're no longer walking the Christian light. You're no longer abiding in the light as Christ and, and God and the Holy Spirit is in the light. You're no longer walking in the light and you've been living in darkness. You know, this is the best place to come forward and make that known and to get that help. Because we are Christ's people, as I talked about, and we love each other. And this is the place where you can receive all that love when you are struggling, when you are weak. So today, if you need anything, we would love to help you out.